Lord, I really need you right now, and I just pray for your Holy Spirit to, to take my words and make them meaningful to this group. Just pray, Father, we give you permission to speak to each one what they need in their lives right now. It may not be anything I say, but God, just speak to their hearts. Just minister to their souls. And I thank you, Father. Thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had uh, something horrible happen to me 17 years ago. I turned 40. <laughs> and for those of you who are poor at math, that was 17 years ago. I'm 57. But my friends, I call them my ex-friends, did one of these black balloons, black crepe paper parties. Tombstone cake. Janet's youth has died. Uh, just all kinds of terrible gag gifts. And of course, I always say, what do I do to deserve this? I moved across the country, and when I turned 50, new friends did it to me all over again. But I seemed to attract it. Um, but the next morning, I could hear Hong's hon car horns honking as they went down our road. Now, we live in, lived in the country. I thought, why are people honking? And I go out and look, and there's a big sign in the yard. But I can't see it because I'm on the back side of it. So I go out and look at it, and it says, Honk your horn, Janet Page's youth has died. <laughs> well, I was going to take it down, but my son, he's 24 now. He was probably about four then. He, he um, couldn't have been four. What was he? Anyway, he, <laughs> I can't add. No, my math is terrible. I went through nursing school using a calculator. But <clears throat> he, um, they told him, don't let your mom take that sound down. You keep that sign up. So he was determined put his body against it. No, Mom, you're not taking the sign down. So I gave up and went back in the house. Fortunately, it started raining. It was misting, and the wind was blowing a little bit, and the sign came down. He brings the sign in the house. He says, Mommy, will you help me get the sign back up? And I go, uh-uh, no way am I going to help you. He goes out the garage, finds a hammer, and starts trying to tack the sign up, but he can't get it up. He was a determined little guy. He still is as a big guy. And he stood out there for a long time holding that sign till the... Finally, all the cars that, it, you know, they're all headed to work had gone. And there was no more. But he held that sign, so he's faithful to his job. <laughs> you probably aren't going to identify with this statement. But for those of us who are older, you, when you're young, you think, life, is it ever going to happen? It's going so slow. But all of a sudden, it takes up fast pace. And I got into my 30s, and I suddenly, wow, life's really picking up speed here. It's going fast, and it's busy, 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 and it's almost like you're on the steam engine. It's going faster and faster and faster and faster, and you're thinking, whoa, when's it going to stop? And I started thinking about, you know, I've got all these good things I need to be doing, all this stuff coming at me. I can't do it all. And I started thinking about, you know, what really matters? It, it's been so fast to my 30s. Pretty soon I'm going to be 40, and then I'll be 60, and then 80. Whoa, life's just going fast. I thought, what really matters? And as I thought about it, you know what came to my mind? That verse in John 17, 3, that says, this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. The only thing that really matters is if I know Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and sometimes that's hard to realize when you've got all the world coming about you and, and you're looking at that good-looking guy you want to marry or whoever that the only thing that really matters is if you know Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to make a difference in that marriage is if you know Jesus Christ. And here I was in my 30s, and yet when I was a senior in academy, I had a Bible teacher tell us how important it was that we spend time with God every day. When I was a teenager, back when we had square stone wheels on our cars, nobody talked about spending time with God. It was just be good, be good, go to church, 
you know, just do these things and maybe you might get saved. And so that's the only thing I really knew. But this Bible teacher is telling me, you need to spend time with God. And so I raised my hand and I said, why? Why, well, you know, why do I need to do this? He says, well, if you don't spend time with God, you're not going to love him. You're not going to know him. And if you don't know him, you're not going to want him. You will end up walking away from him, even though you may not think you will. And I, it's proved true through the years I've watched people over and over again end up falling into a bad situation, end up leaving God. And what's happened is they thought they were safe without that time with God for a, few, for a little while, and they end up falling away. But here I, I'm in my 30s realizing, you know, I've been trying, trying. I, I asked that Bible teacher, well, just how do I do this? Because if I'm going to do it, you know, I want to do it right. And, and he said, well, there's no set amount of time, but maybe try 30 minutes. And I said, well, how do I spend that time? And he said, well, just, you know, pray some, read your Bible. So I got out my alarm clock because I wanted to be sure I did it 30 minutes, sat it on my bed. I thought I had to kneel, and I'm down there kneeling, praying, 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 and I look at, I finally run out of things to pray about. I look at the clock to see how much time I have left. Only five minutes has gone by. I think, how, what am I going to do with the rest of this time? I didn't know how to spend that time with him. But you know what I found out about God? He wants so much to spend time with each one of us that if we will keep pursuing him and spending that time with him, he will show each one of us how to spend it with him. It is not going to look the same. There is not one set way to do it. But he will show you how. He is so desperate to, to spend that time with you. And I got busy, though. I got into college. It was actually here at it's Southern Missionary College then, taking nursing. And you get really busy with your nursing labs and everything going on, plus you try to have a social life. And... I would forget about spending time with God until exam week. And then it was, oh, God, if you'll get me through exams, you'll help me to, you know, make good grades, Lord. I promise I'm going to start reading your word and getting to know you. I'm going to start spending time with you every day. God would get me through exams. And I would try to do that, spend time with him for a while. But pretty soon I'd get busy and I'd fall out of it again until the next exam week. And it was, oh, God, if you'll get me through exams. I'd go through the same thing. Can I confess something to you? I've, always, I've felt so guilty about this. I've never come to Southern since I graduated from here. Because I <laughs> promised my, the head nursing instructor, she says, oh, everybody that takes nursing, they just, they do it for a few years and then they quit. And it's just, you know, we, we're wasting our time. And I promised her, I said, I will never quit. I will always work as a nurse. I promise you. Just let me be in this course. And <clears throat> <laughs> I only worked five years. I love nursing. I love it. But, you know, you got kids. I want to stay home with them. But anyway, I, now that I've confessed that, I feel so much better. I've never said that to anybody before. And I'm sure she's dead, that teacher. But anyway. <laughs> but thank you for letting me pour my guilt on you. Anyway, so I'm, I'm in here at Southern. And, and I'm, I go all the way through school like that with, oh, God, get me through exams. I'm going to spend time with you. And I always thought, though, once you graduate, because you're so busy in college. But once you graduate, you just work at a job. Eight, 10 hours, 12 hour shifts, nurses do, but then you've got those days off. I thought, I'm going to have time to get to know God then. And I graduate, start working that job, and suddenly I find out life is busy. You don't have the time, it just gets eaten up. And then I got married and, and we're going to have this little baby, and two weeks before it was to be born, I got to quit my job. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have so much time to start reading my Bible and getting to know God. And my mother failed to tell me. Let me tell you, young women, it's a 24-hour-day job taking care of a baby. And on, she never told me. And on top of that, if you're not working a full-time job, everybody's got this volunteer project for you to do. 
and it was, oh God, you know, help me. I, I've got to go help with the vacation Bible school. I got to tell a story. Will you bless me, Lord? Lord, I got to help with the cooking school. They want me to cut up the vegetables. They won't dare let me cook, but they'll let me cut up the vegetables. God, will you bless me? Help me to do my job right. Lord, Michelle wants Bible studies. God, will you bless me? Just think about it, God. She wants Bible studies. I'm driving in my car telling God this, and I go, I'm sorry I don't have time for you today, Lord, but, but I'm doing your work, God. I'm sorry I didn't have time for you yesterday either or, or the day before, or, or I'm not even sure when I last did. But, but God, I'm doing your work. And before I know it, I'm in my 30s. I don't know. For women, it's like, well, the next house I move to, I'm going to start out right. I'm going to you know, get unpacked, get it decorated, and start spending time with God. It never happens until the crisis is. And, and during the crisis, you might do it for a while, and then you're out of it again. So here I'm in my 30s realizing if I don't start doing it now, it's never going to happen. Whew, you know, it's gone so fast. So I start trying to spend that time with God. And like we talked about the last hour was started off with praise and adoration, thanksgiving. And it makes it so precious because it helps you to realize how much God loves you, how much he cares about you. Uh, there's a handouts there if you want one on that table. And, and but then after that, I go into a time of confession and I would think and try to confess everything I thought I should confess. You ever do that? But while you're doing that, there's this thought that comes into your mind of something you need to confess or make right, and you're going, uh-uh, I'm going to ignore that one. Do you do that? Do you, do you ever be reading God's Word, and suddenly you start getting these thoughts, and it's something you know God wants you to deal with, and so instead of, and you don't want to deal with it, so I just start reading all the faster. Just, oh, this is really good. Just to read, real, read, real, read a whole lot of God's Word, you know, totally avoiding what God's trying to say to me. I've heard others say they turn up the praise music really loud so they can't hear God speaking to them. And when I would try to spend that time with God, God would be speaking to me, telling me to deal with this sin problem. And I just didn't want to. And I said, God, at first I said, well, it's because I'm melancholy. I have an overguilty conscience. I know this is not an issue. But everywhere I'd go, from my worship times to being at prayer conferences, God would keep speaking to me to deal with it. And finally, I told God, I said, okay, I know it's sin. I know it's wrong, but I can't deal with it. I don't believe Jesus could if he were here on this earth. It's just too hard. Just leave it alone. Just, you know, let's shove it over here. Let's work on not eating between meals or something. You know, something <laughs> simple. And I didn't realize till many years later, my unwillingness to deal with that sin in my life what it did to me spiritually. But I started just drying up. It's, it's like God's word became so dry and boring and lifeless to me. And when I'd pray, I didn't feel like my prayers were going higher in the ceiling. And I got into these vicious cycles of depression. And in church, you know how the pastors will say, you need to be out sharing the hope, the joy, the power you have in Jesus Christ, witnessing to your neighbors. And I'd look, sit there and think, what hope? What joy? I've got nothing what is there I've got that my neighbors would want? What is there that my sons are going to want? And I realized I was hopeless, and I gave up. I didn't tell anybody about it because I was a pastor's wife, and you don't tell, you know, that's not something you broadcast. And I just kept going through the motions of doing what I needed to do as a pastor's wife and with my kids. But I was hopeless. I had totally given up, felt I was totally lost. About at the time this was really deep happening, the worst, we had moved to another conference, and J my husband went in as uh, like a pastor to the pastors, and he went around visiting the pastoral families and found there was a real need among the pastor's wives to have a, a spiritual uh, retreat for the wives. And so he worked that out for that to happen, but he couldn't leave it alone. It was such a blessing. He said, if this is a blessing for the wives, 
we need to have it for all the women. We need to have a women's retreat. Think what a blessing it would be for them. Well, he couldn't get anybody to plan it because it took a lot of work. But one day he came home from a trip. Somebody had handed me a brochure of a women's retreat in another state and said, give that to Jerry. So I gave it to Jerry. Jerry looks at it and says, oh, Janet, this is what we need. Don't you think we need this for the women in our conference? I said, I don't know. I've never been to a women's retreat. And he said, well, don't you think they need spiritual revival? And I said, oh, yeah, they need conversion. They need spiritual revival, yeah. He says, great. You think they need it? You go plan it. And I go, no, Jerry, I can't do that kind of thing. You know I can't do that. He said, you just said they needed it. I said, well, they may need it, but I can't do it. And he says, well, won't you at least pray about it and see if God wants you to do it? Talk about a guilt trip. <laughs> so I thought about it for a little bit, and I came back to him. I said, okay, Jerry, I'll pray about it, because I knew I could come back in a few days and say, Jerry, the Lord has said I shouldn't do this. Because I knew, you know, God's not going to make me want me to do that, because God knew how bad off I was with him. Jerry didn't know. Nobody else knew. But God knew. And... But I forgot to pray about it because I was not praying at that time in my life. And Jerry, when this happened, he'd now become the conference president. And Jerry comes home and tells me that it's been voted by whoever votes things at a conference office, I haven't figured it out yet, that I'm to do this women's retreat. And I'm going, Jerry, how could you go and get them to vote this? I never told you I'd do it. He says, well, I was sure that when you prayed about it, God would tell you to do it. So I felt, oh my, my name's on the line. Some unknown group of people voted for me to do this. I've got to do this thing. And so I started trying to plan it. I knew enough to get a speaker, but I didn't know what else to do at a women's retreat. But the one thing I know that I needed was I needed God. And I started trying to spend time with God every day. And I started crying out to God. I said, God, I don't know you. You know, my life is hopeless. I know I'm not going to be saved. But God, I need your help. I don't want to be embarrassed and look bad. This thing be a failure. I said, God, will you help me to know you? Will you help me to love you? Will you help me to see that you love me? And I kept after God every day, persisting at that, asking him. And I'm telling you, that is a prayer God always answers. If we won't give up and we'll keep seeking him. I'll never forget the day that it became so meaningful to me. I was... Um, I had attended camp meeting, attended one of these health seminars, and the guy was talking about walking and how healthy it beneficial it was for you. So I decided, oh, I need to do that. I'm feeling sluggish and whatever. So I started walking, this really fast kind of walking. Wow, it really does make you feel good. You get those endorphins flying in your mind, and I'd come home so happy and just drive Jerry crazy. But <laughs> I flew from Florida down, no, from Pennsylvania down to Florida to pick up a car my dad was giving us. And so I didn't get to walk that day. Well, the next day was Sabbath, and that morning I got up. You know, I'd been asking God now t to wake me up again, to spend that time with him. And I didn't get up quite when he woke me up, but I finally got up, and I'm trying to spend that time with him, but I'm thinking, whoa, i got to get ready for church, Sabbath school soon, and I need to go out and walk. And if I don't, you know, I'm going to be sluggish and have a headache and whatever. And I uh, closed up my Bible to get ready to go out walking. As I'm putting on my t uh, tennis shoes, I just became overwhelmed just with this impression I want you to stay here with me. And I thought, but God, you know, I'll fall asleep in church. I, I need to get out and get my blood s stirred up, you know. I need to get moving. And as I tied up my shoes and I went and put my hand on the doorknob to open that door to the room, I became overwhelmed with Jesus on that cross. And I just thought, oh, my. So I, I shut the door and I got back down with my Bible. and I said, okay, God, I may have a headache. I may fall asleep, but I'm spending this time with you. Do you know 
It was then when I really made him a priority, God just started flooding me through his word, talking to me. I believe that when he sees we're really sincere about it, it will start happening with each one of us. How old was I? I'm in my 30s. I didn't realize that God would speak to me through his words so dramatically. It was incredible how he'll start doing that and that experience with him becomes so alive. And so I'm still, you know, trying to plan this women's retreat, but I don't know what to do. Nobody's signing up to come. So I go complaining to, to Jerry. Well, first I started praying, God, you got to get them to come. And they did start registering. And now we're starting to fill up. And I thought, what am I going to do with them? It's going to be a big mess. And I go to Jerry. I said, Jerry, you, you're the one that's caused this. It's going to be a failure. It's going to make you look bad, Jerry, because it's going to be a big failure. And he said, Janet, just go do it. Just go do it. So I, I walked out. He was tying his tie at the time. I walked out. I go, okay, just go do it. The thought came into my mind. Pray for God to send you another woman to pray with once a week for this retreat. So I thought, oh, I need to do that. So I started praying for that. But I forgot one minor little detail. You know how the pastors sometimes will say, now let's divide up in threes and fours and pray together. Whenever they did that, I said, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> or pinch the baby, get him crying, do something to get out of there. <laughs> because people pray these beautiful prayers and I'd stumble all over my words. And, and you know, I, or I'd start crying. And, of course, everybody wonders why you're crying. Or by the time they get around to you, everybody's prayed everything I could think of. What I learned, though, what I've learned about God is it's okay if I cry. It's okay if I pray about the same things others have because the Holy Spirit comes in and prays it through our personalities. And it's good to agree together. It's good to, to agree together and pray for what somebody else has just prayed for about their life. But forgetting that I was scared to pray with somebody else, I wouldn't even pray with Jerry at that time. I'm praying for this. About three weeks or so goes by. I'm in the kitchen one night. Nobody else is home yet. I'm trying to fix supper. I'm just wringing my hands. I hadn't been able to hardly eat food for a couple of days. I'm just beside myself. This retreat's going to be a disaster, and I don't know what I'm doing. And the phone rings. And it was a woman I didn't know real well. And she's introduced herself, and then she said, Janet, this may sound strange, but I feel God's impressing me to ask you if you wouldn't want to get together once a week to pray for your retreat. And she says, who knows, maybe after that, keep praying. And I tell you, I can't describe the peace that flooded through me because I then knew God really wanted this retreat. It wasn't just Jerry pushing it. And we started meeting to pray together. And she got other women to join us. And we'd meet to pray together. And I'd start praying, Lord, help these women. They need revival. They need conversion. God, I pray you can work at this retreat. One of those times I'm praying this, I'm telling you, it's just like God was shouting in my mind. It wasn't a voice, but just that loud thought was, if you want me to help these women, let's work on your life. And I'm going, ooh, ooh, I was so embarrassed. I opened my eyes because I was sure they could hear. But nobody acted like anything was wrong. And I'm going in my mind, later, God, later. Yeah, I'll deal with it. I'm going to. Later. You know, he's still after me about this one sin problem I would refused through the years to deal with. And, but I said later, but I'm a procrastinator. I still wouldn't deal with it. And a while after that, we were at a prayer conference on the West Coast. And at that prayer conference, it was beautiful. People praying together and in a group prayer, just doing the conversational sentence kind of prayers. And people, somebody start up a song over here and somebody pray scripture. But my husband wasn't enjoying it. And I didn't know what was wrong with him. There's kind of this wall between us, and I didn't know why. And he wouldn't talk about it. And one... um, one morning, God had been waking me up so early. I mean, he was waking me up earlier than Jerry to spend this time with him. By the way, I used to argue with God about this. I'd say, God, if I get up now, 
I won't have enough sleep. I'm going to be irritable and have a headache and it's going to be terrible, God. I can't get up now. But the more I try to spend time with God, he'd keep waking me up. And I, I finally said, okay, I'm going to get up and spend this time with you. But if I have a headache, I'm irritable, I'm telling everybody it's your fault because you're the one that woke me up. And do you know what's happened, though? Since I started doing that, I don't have the headaches. And my family will tell you she doesn't get irritable like she did. And it's just incredible when we're obedient to what God's telling us, what a difference it makes. But so I'm trying to spend this time with God in a motel room. Well, I don't want to wake Jerry up. He's still sleeping, so I'll go in the bathroom. Of course, I'm there kneeling beside that toilet. And, and I'm telling you, the times with God have become so precious, the way he'll speak to you through his word and wraps you in his love. But he wasn't there. It was gone. And I said, God, where are you? I don't sense you here. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm next to this toilet here. <laughs> but then, you know, God's not limited by that. But as I'm thinking all this, just that faint, faint thought comes, I want you to go call this person now. My particular sin problem, I've got several, but the one he'd really been after me about that I refused to deal with was a bitterness, a resentment towards someone. And I just could not deal with it because he, he was wanting me to go ask their forgiveness. I thought, hey, they're the one that's done all these bad things to me, God. You get them to come ask my forgiveness, then maybe I can be nice or something to them. I mean, they've done all this stuff to me. And if I go and ask their forgiveness, they'll never think they did anything wrong anyway. I could get no response from God. He just, it was just dead, and it's just like he wasn't there. And, and I, I'm telling you, that experience with him had become so real and so special. I did not want to give it up. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to lose what was happening. For so many years, people told me, believe what Romans says. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And I think, I'm too big a sinner. There's no way he'll save me. There's just no way. I've done too many bad things. And, and I continue to do bad things. But you know, after spending many weeks with God, asking him to show me him, to show me how to love him and how much he loves me. You know the scriptures that talk about the righteous? I used to get discouraged. I'm not righteous. But what I found is those texts about the righteous are about me because I am the righteous because of Jesus Christ, his blood shed for me. When the father looks at me, he looks at Jesus. And what a difference it had made. I can remember, you know, years before that, trying to spend time with God and getting up and going, what's the use? This is boring. I'm just doing it because I want to be saved. I don't know you. I don't love you. You know, I would just give up. And, but the, it had become so precious, that time with him. And, but I didn't want to lose now what was happening. Plus, I wanted to bless that retreat, and I was afraid he wasn't going to. That I got up and went to a payphone to call this person because I, I um, <clears throat> was too embarrassed to do it in the room. I didn't want Jerry to hear, even though I knew Jerry, you know, was on my side because this person had treated me so bad through the years. So I go to the phone, and the whole way there, I'm going, God, I hate this person. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I said, I need the Holy Spirit to do it through me because there's just no way I can do it. And I get them on the phone hoping they won't be home, but it's so early in the morning, you know, I wake them up. And I make a little small talk. Finally, I jump into it and start asking their forgiveness. And I'll never forget what happened that day because as I started to ask their forgiveness, God started flooding me with one thing after another that I needed to ask forgiveness for. And each thing, I would say, would you forgive me for this and this? I was in shock because I didn't know I'd done these things. I had, because I was so bitter and angry at them, I was blind to how I'd treated them, I guess. And each one that would come to mind, I kept asking forgiveness for that. And you know what happened? I'm amazed as I humbled myself asking their forgiveness, knowing full well they'd probably never ask mine, which they didn't. 
But God came in and washed the bitterness and hatred out of me and in his place filled me with love and compassion for them. I saw them through new eyes, through God's eyes. It was incredible for me what happened that morning. Well, we were at the prayer conference during the day. That night we came to eat in our room and we're going back to the meeting and Jerry didn't want to go back. He says, you know, I'm tired of meetings. I'm just going to stay in the room. I said, oh, okay. And I'm struggling because I want to go to the meeting, but yet he's, he's, won't go and I feel like I need to stay with him. So I finally said, I'm going to stay here with you. And as soon as I made that decision, God starts flooding me with things I needed to tell Jerry and to tell him what happened that morning. So I start telling Jerry what happened that morning, thinking Jerry's going to be amazed. Jerry, you know, remember I said there was this emotional wall between us. All of a sudden I could sense it was melted, just going down. Jerry had been telling God the day before, unbeknownst to me, saying, why am I here, God? I have so much work to do in my conference, and you made me come to this prayer conference, and they're teaching us to pray. I know how to pray. We pray in our conference. Why do I need to be here? And Janet, if she's so spiritual, getting up so early in the morning, spending time with you, how come she has trouble with so-and-so? I never knew that Jerry said that or felt that way. And he, when he reveals that to me, I got chills because I realized that it was really a God thing that morning, what God had done. But it, then God started moving on me with Jerry. God had been after me for some time that I needed to ask Jerry's forgiveness for a number of things. And I just refused to do it. I said, if I do that, you know, next time we have a problem, he'll just hold it over my head. But you know those scriptures in Philippians? In, in uh, Luke 14, 11, it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Matthew 23, 12, again, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And it's just throughout the Bible. If you've got a problem in that area, you'll find it hard to get away from but I would think, hey, I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. This is just crazy. But those scriptures are so true. That night, because of the miracle that had happened, it gave me the courage to start asking Jerry's forgiveness for a number of things. And you know what it did? It did what God's word says. I was exalted. All it did was draw Jerry and I closer together. We cannot go wrong in obeying God's word. And do you know if there's somebody in your life that you're bitter at, you're resentful at, you just try to ignore them, you just don't like them, you need to get over it. You need to fast, pray, whatever it takes. Say, God, help me get over this. Because you will start acting like them. You will start acting like them. And you don't want to, but it happens. And that had happened to me. The way this person had treated me so bad, I had started treating my husband and the kids that way. And there was such a change that happened in me through all of this that my son, my older boy, who was then a young teenager, came to me. He said, Mommy, you've changed. He said, will you teach me to know Jesus the way you know him now? And my little guy, he came to me, Mommy, Mommy, you, you, you're so happy now. Will you teach me to know Jesus the way you know him? Oh, what that did. And, and on top of that, because you start spending time in God's word every day, you now have something to witness about to your neighbors, to your friends. I started seeing neighbors, one to the Lord, and, and many other people, just through my own testimony, through sharing what God wants to do. But you know the reason I feel that whole thing happened with me? God was after me, yes. But when Jerry became the conference president, it was at camp meeting time. And a group of people were attending a seminar that was on the Holy Spirit, how important it is that we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives, our children's lives, in our leaders' lives. He got them to commit to pray for Jerry and I every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And people started coming up to me at the end of camp meeting saying that. And I'd look at them and say, oh, thank you. But inside I'm thinking, they don't know the mess I am. They don't know. 
And what good does prayer do? You know, no big deal. But for the next two years, we'd be in a different church almost every Sabbath because of Jerry's job. Somebody would be coming up to me somewhere saying, we're praying for you and Jerry. Our prayer group, we're praying for you and Jerry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Two years later is when this whole thing happened where God literally turned my life upside down and got me to start spending time with him every day and to deal with this bitterness. I don't ever want to go back to the way it was before. It is so incredible making God first, spending that time with him. And a lot of times people think um, in spending that time that they've got to go through this big list, this prayer list, and that it, you know, they, they don't want to do this. It's boring. Do you, you heard about George Mueller? And George Mueller was a minister back, I think it's the 1800s, and he would go around and ask his parishioners, how's your time with the Lord? And they'd say, what time? I have to spend 14 hours a day working to put food on the table for my family. And George got so discouraged with that that people wouldn't spend time with God that he quit the paid ministry and asking God to give him somehow something that will show people that if we put God first, God will provide. God laid on his heart, start an orphanage. Come to find out there was a real need for it then, orphanages, but he just started praying for that. God provided the building, and then God brought the orphans. He had this building and said, well, where am I going to get orphans? And he starts praying for it, and God starts bringing them down the street to come. It's incredible. If you've never read his books, they're good. But his uh, spiritual uh, diary is really good. But he... Um, So when he starts this orphanage, he starts praying every day because he's got all these needs with these orphans, so many needs. And he starts praying for all of these needs for God to meet them. And his experience with God just dried up because he's just bringing this laundry list, these prayer, these needs before God. And what he turned around and started doing was instead was just taking his Bible each day. Sometimes he'd go out and walk so he'd be able to stay awake, be out in the fresh air because uh, sometimes sitting you can fall asleep. But he just start walking and reading his Bible until he got happy with God. I don't know if you tried that, but I've been doing it ever since I read that, just to read my Bible until I'm happy with God. Let God lead you through every verse of Scripture you're reading. Pray each one. Pray it into your life. Ask for the Holy Spirit to, to speak through you through it. But just to keep doing that, he may stop you and want you to sing a song to him. He may want you to stop and give him praise thanksgiving. He may want you to stop and confess. Uh, I don't know what he might want you to do. But it's incredible the joy journey that you can go on with God as you do that with him. And one of the things I found too, I mentioned, I guess that was the other hour, was journaling. To write down those, uh, your, your prayers with God. Or at least write down your, your requests. And then come back and write down the answers. You know what will happen? You'll start seeing blessings and surprises in your life that, are, that you're just amazed at. You need to write those down too. One time Jerry came to me. He says, Janet, we've got to share at such and such a place here. He says, we've already been there. What are we going to do? I said, well, Jerry, why don't we just share what's happened in the last year, the answers we've seen God do. He said, Janet, we have a whole hour. I said, well, go read your journal, Jerry. And so he did. And he comes back a while later and he says, wow, so many things happened in this last year. You forget about them. We forget. What was Israel's biggest problem? If you go through, they forgot. They forgot. They forgot what God had done. They forgot what God had said. Over and over, it's they forgot. We forget. And to have that journal, 
that you write down, it becomes so precious. In fact, you know, when I started spending that time with God every day there and God started speaking to me and I was just really enjoying this. All of a sudden it dried up, it quit. I said, God, you know why? I like you speaking to me through your word. I don't sense, where, where are you? What's going on? It took me three days asking that before it finally came. You don't care about what I show you. And I said, yes, I care. I get all excited. You know, I share it with my family and my neighbors and whoever. And God said, no, you forget about it. If you cared, you'd write it down. It is really important to God that we write down the things he's saying to us. If, if you haven't been experiencing, you say, well, lately it's been dry. God's not been speaking to me. Go back. Think back to the last time God did speak to you. Are you doing what he told you? Are you remembering what he said to you? Another thing I found helpful is um, just to be still before him, to drink lots of water. If you spend that time in the morning, I don't know what time of day you do it, but to drink lots of water because it helps keep you awake. Some people take a cold shower <laughs> too, but, but uh, if I keep drinking water, it makes a difference in, in staying awake. But to take the conflict series, Desire of Ages, you know those books, especially Desire of Ages, and to read, read the conflict series along with the Bible. But be sure you're reading the Bible the most, the first, Jesus' very life is in his word. And it comes into you as you read it. You will not get that from any other book. The only one that's close to that is like, it's the spirit of prophecy. But, but his, it's, there's a healing of power that comes. I, I recently here at camp meeting heard about a new book that was all about Jesus and, and had all kinds of scriptures in it. And I'm the kind of person who I like to read it. I want to read it all, learn it all at one time. Don't read a little bit. And I started reading it for my devotions. As much as I knew, I needed to stay in the Word. I said, well, it's full of scriptures. And, and it's just so easy to lose it. No book will do for you what God's Word does for you. In, in volume 7 of the Testimonies, page 71, it says, One sentence of scripture is of more value than 10,000 of men's ideas or arguments. Another one, this is what got me to start telling, asking God to speak to me through his word back when this whole thing started, was in volume six of the testimonies, 392, 393. By the way, and you may be already experiencing this, but as you're spending that time with God every day, it's amazing how he will just lead you to the things to read in his word, but also other books. They'll open up to just the page you need, the quotes you need. How does he do that? But he does it, you know, all the time. He'll even get you in the right version of the Bible you need at the moment. Literally. My, my younger boy, a teenage, he was not a teenager now, he's 24, he's a pastor now. But he went through a rough time for a while there as a teen. And I had just heard, you know, found out about something he'd done that was just devastating. And that morning in my worship, I went to God, I'm on my knees just crying. I said, Lord, what do I do with this boy? I said, God, you got to give me a scripture to claim for this kid. And I go to open my Bible, and I have this urge, pick up this other Bible. I tend to have a lot of different versions. And I thought, yeah, you know, I read that one through one year. I, it was, I maybe should try it again. So I pull that one out. I open it up, and it opens to a page where I had marked this verse and written beside it, Zach, with the date. It was two years before that God had given me to claim for him, and I had totally forgotten about it. I could tell you, and my husband, if he were here, could tell you story after story after story like that where God's done that with us. It's incredible how he does that. 
just incredible. But the relationship with him is so real and so personal and alive. And if it's not that in your life right now, start praying for it to be. I remember my older boy when he was a young teenager coming to me and saying, well, Mom, I tried to show him how to spend time with God because he'd asked to. He says, Mom, it's really boring. Reading the word, it's, it's boring. And so I started praying. I got my prayer partner to start praying with me. God, make it exciting to him. Make it interesting. He didn't know we were praying this. I said, make it exciting to him. Do you know, it was probably three weeks or so later, he comes into the kitchen, comes home from school. He says, Mom, God's word's really exciting. I just dropped what I was doing in the sink. I looked at him. But it was the exact words we'd been praying for to pursue God on these things. But then he proceeded to show me that Proverbs was his favorite book. He started telling me some things I needed to learn from Proverbs, which he was right about. I did. But anyway, this, script, this, this quote, volume six of the testimonies. By the way, someday if you have kids, they are going to point out to you your faults and your defects. Accept it humbly. I have learned more from my kids. And you know what that does? It just bonds us together. When, when you become defensive and get upset, it's just not good. It, 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 it's so good to, to do that. Anyway, the Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as surely as though we could hear it with our ears. If we realize this, with what awe would we open God's word? With what earnestness would we search its precepts? The reading and contemplation of the scriptures would be regarded as an audience with the infinite one. You're not just reading another book. It's just in, in incredible what he wants to do through scriptures. But to pray them, I, I've taken like, I've got, my older boy has decided to, God's been compelling him for years. He's finally surrendered to it to take law. He doesn't even know why. He graduated from PUC with a business major. He and his wife have been working at Weimar for several years. And he says, I just feel compelled to take law. Well, God had been laying it on my heart. He needed to too, but I couldn't tell him that. But anyway, so he's in law school. Besides, he's got a family and he's working full time. That's a lot to take on. And so I started, and he's not, you know, he's smart, but he's not brilliant. And so I started praying Daniel into his life. Do you see what I'm, what I'm talking about? But Daniel, how um, God, Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Started praying that into Tyson's life. Now God ha had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. Started praying that into his life, that you'll bring him into favor with the professors, his teachers. And just on down, that you'll give him understanding as you did Daniel. Do you know, even though he works full-time, he's in the top 10 of his class. He's on the dean's list. It's, it's incredible. And, and the last email I got from him, you know, we're just all fasting and praying over all these exams he takes, and he thinks he's done terrible. And he scrolled down. He says, well, I got an A in this one. Or, I mean, I scroll down. I got an A in this one. I got an A in this one, A in this one. And then he says, in civil procedures, which was the one he just knew he'd flunked, and it makes me scroll way down to find the answer. Do you do that to your parents? <laughs> An A plus. Wow. And it was one he just could not understand. He couldn't understand any of it. But then he goes on to write. He said, Mom, will you thank all of those that have been praying for me? He said, there's been, this is nothing, none of this has happened because of me. I know this is totally God. There has been a sense of God there as I'm taking the test, showing me, to answer this, true or false, multiple, whatever, in the right way. He says he's been right there showing me how to answer each one. It's, it's incredible, that journey with God. And there's, there's other quotes. Uh, his, his, his power, Mount of Blessings, page 150. His power, his very life, dwells in his word. 
As you receive the word in faith, it will give you power to obey. I don't care if you're reading the Bagats, the Leviticus. God's healing power comes into you through all of that. I um, literally live my life to be able to spend that time with him because it's become so precious. I don't want to eat right so that I'll live a long time. I don't want to eat right so I won't get cancer. I want to eat right so that I'll, want, I'll have the energy to spend time with God. I want to eat right and exercise so that, so not so those endorphins will fly, but so I'll be able to spend more time with God. I won't require as much sleep and I'll have more time with him. Let me tell you what, and this is hard as a college student, and maybe you can't do it right now, but if you keep trying, if you even give it five minutes a day, read the word, five minutes pray, five minutes do something for somebody else, service and love. If you keep doing that every day, it's going to grow. It's, gonna, it's just going to grow and grow. But eventually, when you can commit to giving God an hour a day. Now, my life is extremely busy. And I tell God, you know, it's got to begin at 6 or 7, whatever day it may be, in the morning. And I say, whatever time before that, you have to wake me up. <laughs> and he'll do it. He will get me up to spend that time with him when he thinks it's good. I, but I've had him on a Sunday morning. Wake me up early and I'm going, no, wait a minute. This is the day I can sleep in. There's nothing happening today. I've got the whole day, God. And do you know, he knew that I did not have the whole day. He knew there was going to crisis has come up. And, and I'm just kicking myself because I didn't get up, you know, when he said. I learned finally to do it when he'd wake me up, even though it may not be the, the right time to me. Um, but one time I'm, I'm in that worship time, just enjoying it and asking God, make me like Jesus. Help me to be more patient, loving, and, oh, you know, I want to be like Jesus. And I'm just enjoying the worship time with him, singing songs to him. It's just so beautiful. And then I come out of my bedroom. <laughs> Not my bedroom, my study where, where I have my worship. But I come out of there and I meet my husband in the hall. And let me clue you in to the fact that Satan loves to get in there and make us hear each other wrong. Um, you may not meant it at all the way it was said, but Satan gets in there and just tries to get us to hear it wrong. Well, I heard something wrong, and I was really upset. God's still working on me to die to sell, and I went into the kitchen and started fixing breakfast. Now, I was a little bit late because I'd gone a little over in the worship time, and I go in the kitchen. I start getting breakfast ready. My kids come in, and I, you know, I get them to school, so I'm trying to get them to eat, and this little guy, he goes and dumps his cereal on the floor. So I'm down on the floor cleaning up this mess. We're late to get to school. We go jump in the car to take him to school, and the car won't start. So in my mind, I'm saying, great, I spend time with you. Look at what's happening in my life. You know, can't you at least get the car to start and get me there? And, and of course, I had to confess and, and apologize to God for talking like that. But God starts speaking to me, just that faint impression, what was it you prayed for in your worship this morning? I think, to be Christ-like? Yeah, to be Christ-like, be patient. He says, I'm trying to teach you. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. But you try to spend time with God. You can count on it to begin with. Troubles will happen. But if you do like we talked about the first hour, start praising God for them, thanking him, because God will take those problems and turn them around for good in your life if you will let him instead of fighting against them. And, and I hope you'll read those quotes in the handout because it will tell you some of that. But one, one time... We've got to quit here soon, don't we? Um, well, I'll tell you two things. But my, my husband, my, my first husband that died, he had 
gone through college in three years. He wanted so desperately to get out and get into the ministry. He said, Jesus, coming soon. I got to get done with school and get out and get working. And he graduates. We're, we're in our first in an intern, interning under another pastor. Well, this pastor literally did not require more than four hours sleep a night. At least he thought he didn't. He looked like he needed more than that. But, and so he thought my husband should live on that too. And he, he would run Mike from 7 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And it was just terrible. And, and it wasn't just all ministry. He had him fixing his car because Mike was very mechanical, fixing, doing stuff. And Mike was a happy, happy guy. I never, ever had seen him depressed and down. But I suddenly saw him getting very depressed. Just because he thought, he thought, I'm in the ministry now. I'm going to be able to study and, and get to know God better and, and be able to get Bible studies. Instead, you know, it was just this work, work schedule every day. And he got so depressed. And he determined that he was just going to spend time with God wherever he possibly could because his life was just too busy. And he started reading his Bible even at meal times. Now, that's probably not a good thing to do with your family. But I put up with it because I knew he needed it. And he would read his Bible. He'd carry a little Bible with him. And wherever he was, if there was a minute or whatever, he'd open it up and start reading and praying, talking to God, praying the scriptures. And do you know what happened? One night, he wakes me up. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. He says, what do you want? I said, what do you mean what do I want? I'm asleep. You woke me up. And he said, well, you called my name. I said, I didn't call your name, Mike. Go to sleep. The next night, he wakes me up and he says, what do you want? I said, what do you mean, what do I want? I'm trying to sleep. And he says, but you called my name. I said, Mike, I didn't call your name. I said, maybe you're a Samuel. Maybe it's God, because I didn't do it. The next night, it happened again. This time, I wake up. He doesn't ask me anything this time. I wake up to find him getting out of bed. I see him pick up his Bible off the dresser and go off in another room. Night after night after night, that started happening. And I watched that man's experience just explode in the Lord. It's incredible. Pray and ask God to show you how to make that time for him. You think about it. The mornings, you know, for me, it's in the morning. I don't know when it'll be for you. The room's still dark. Sometimes it's cold. And I come in that room, it reminds me of Christmas time. It reminds me, my, my younger boy, he'd come home from school. He'd made a gift for me at school. He, and then they have him wrap it. So he comes home with this strange-looking package and comes running into the kitchen. He says, Mommy, Mommy, look at what I made for you. And I would try to guess, shake it, try to figure out what's in it. And I, he'd say, How long till Christmas? And I'd tell him, How long? And i said, Go put it out in the living room. So he'd put it out in the living room, but pretty soon he'd have it back out again. He'd go, Mommy, Mommy, can you guess what I made you for Christmas? And I would try to guess, and he'd say, How long till Christmas? He just could not wait for me to open it up so, so I could see how much he loved me by making this little gift he'd made for me. And that's the way I find it is with God. When I go to spend that time with him, it's like the room is just alive with him. He's so excited. I'm actually going to sit still and let him love me. Let him love me. You think about it, it's the creator of the universe that wants to spend time with each one of us. How can we not make time for him? And again, if it's boring, dry to you, ask God to make it exciting. Ask him to make it meaningful. Try different versions of the Bible that, that are easier, easier to read. I, I tend to have several. Have a dictionary there that you can look up words with, a concordance you can look up things with. 
it's in, uh, so beautiful what he, God wants to do in our lives. It's time to quit. So I just pray with you for a moment. Um, just want to take you through a time of silent prayer and just give you a chance to ask God if there's anything in your life that he'd want you to confess to him privately right now. If you would do that, just, just join me in that. Father, just pray for each one in this room right now. Lord, we're so thankful you're a God who loves us. It's just incredible. The God of the universe cares about each one of us. And Father, I pray for each one in this room right now. Lord, if they're willing, just, just help them to ask you privately, quietly, is there anything in their life that's blocking the way of them having that deeper experience with you? Would you just speak to them right now, Father? Just ask him if you would. If God reveals something to you, just confess it as sin privately and just accept his forgiveness. Claim 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Be sure and thank him for forgiveness and then ask him for a deeper repentance because that is also a, a free gift from God. It's not something we can make happen. You may not feel a deeper repentance, but just thank him for it. Be open and honest with him. Say, God, it's a sin I love. Lord, I know it's destroying me, but I, I, don't, I don't want to give it up. Just be willing and say to God, Lord, make me willing to allow you to come in and give me a hatred for that sin. And just thank him for doing it. And if God has led you to confess something to him and you've asked forgiveness, you've accepted his forgiveness, you've asked for deeper repentance, you have an empty place, just ask him to, to fill that empty place with, with something he'd want to give you right now. Maybe some spiritual insight, some spiritual gift. If he shows you something, just be sure and thank him for it. Lord, we just thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death on the cross for us. And Father, I pray for each one in this room that I know a lot of them are having an exciting experience with you. But Father, if they're not, make your word come alive. Help them to be able to sit still before you and to really know you as their God and Savior. Lord, show them how real you are and how personal you want to be in their lives. And Father, if there's anything that's blocking the way between you and them, just keep revealing it to them. Make them miserable until they allow you to remove it out of their lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.